The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Nikki Shields. And I'm Chad Douglas. This is episode three. And this go-round, we're talking about our feelings. More so, if emotions could talk, because really, Nikki, they do. It's just a matter of figuring out how to listen to them. Yep. Our feelings definitely do talk. Emotions are the primary way that our bodies communicate with us about important things like our needs, environment, and safety. The tricky part is that like our spouses, we don't always listen to them or even understand what the heck they're trying to say. What? Sorry, I wasn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> I see like, what you did there. Yeah, see, I see I'm what not, you did there. That I'm was not, good. I'm not taking your bait. <laughs> so the language of emotions doesn't come naturally to all of us, as you can see. But that's okay, because just like any other language with a little practice, we can become fluent. Hmm. We're going to share the building blocks of emotional literacy here, which is a fun phrase you can use um, to look up more information on this topic. Emotional literacy. When we are born, we have two basic emotions, comfortable and uncomfortable. Think about a newborn baby. It's either content or it's not, right? It's either crying or it's fairly happy. But as the baby grows, it develops more emotions. Young children are able to feel fear, anger, sadness, disgust, and joy. Then as the child grows towards adolescence, these basic emotions combine to create even more complex emotional experiences such as guilt, regret, pride, excitement. Our emotions continue to grow and expand throughout our lifespans. So someone who's in their 90s has had emotional experiences that people in their 30s can't even fathom. Chad, this is why when a teenager experiences their first breakup, he or she thinks the world is coming to an end and that they will never love anyone else ever again. We know this is just the first in a series of experiences that will lead to much more fulfilling connections. But um, these kids, they haven't had enough emotional experiences to realize where this fits in the spectrum of their lives. And, and, And even little kids, you could take this to a toddler who, you know, somebody took their blue crayon and it is the end of the world. We know this is a minor problem because we've had a lot of other emotional experiences that are much tougher. Um, One of my kiddos said yesterday, mom, you don't know what it's like. I go to work. I mean, I'm sorry. She doesn't go to work. We don't make her work. I go to school. I have to do my work all day. Then I come home. You want me to do my homework and practice my piano. You have no idea how stressful that is. And I'm over here like, um, try me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I know a bit about that, but that's because, you know, my emotional experiences have evolved over several years that, and she hasn't gotten there yet. So as a therapist then how I know how I would respond to my kids cuz I get the same questions how do you, how do you respond in that Uh so this is a great question and and the right answer is <laughs> you you empathize with their experience you uh-huh. don't try to one up them you say oh it is tough you go to school you have to listen and behave and and share and follow all the rules and you work so hard and then you come home and you have all these responsibilities that's a lot That's a lot for your little body, but you're doing so great. What you don't say, the wrong answer is, I am 40 years old and I know a lot more about working hard than you do. That is is not what you want to say in that situation. You want to empathize with the child's struggle, but encouraging them to keep going and letting them know they're doing a good job. Sure. Because I always tell my kids, I'm like, I was a a 10-year-old boy once. 
a little different with my daughter because I can't relate. <laughs> I was I was never a little girl, but you know, a kid and, and growing up. And I, I've I've found um, with parenting my son and my daughter that it's just if you do, you relate to them and and try to get on their level and be like, I do understand what you're going through, and not one up them. Be like, Do you want to talk about my day? Here's what I did today. I can show you a list. I can show you a list of all the things I did today. No, you you don't compete with your child for who had the hardest day. All right, let me um, write that down. You don't compete don't, with your child. Okay. It's not a competition. Um, but, but take seriously their struggle. But we just have to kind of allow them to continue to grow and experience and gain perspective. So uh, these, these base emotions that I mentioned earlier, joy, disgust, fear, anger, and sadness, they all have a functional purpose or a job in our lives. Did you know that? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I'm going to tell you more about it. Okay. So fear has a pretty important job. Um, Fear is here. And you might be able to guess this because we talked a little bit about this in episode one. Um, But fear is here to keep us safe. It's Uh here to alert us to danger. And it's the emotion that ignites the fight or flight response if it's needed. So from day one, you know, fear is out there looking out for you. And anytime you experience it, it's a really good idea to check in with that sense. What, What is that emotion trying to tell you, right? That's fear. Anger is another one um, that is very common. I, I would say most humans experience anger on a pretty regular basis. Uh-huh. Um, and it's not just there to cause conflict in your relationships. It's there to help us keep things fair or to motivate us to speak up when something isn't fair. So probably one of the earliest places that kids experience anger would be like in sibling relationships. Uh-huh. So, you know, that's not fair. She got more than I did or um, she got a toy and I didn't. You know, that's not fair. And so that elicits anger. Well, while we know that, you know, little kids growing up, it's hard to keep things fair. We also know that we live in a world where there's a lot of unfairness. And if we don't feel unhappy about that at some point, if that doesn't bother us, we don't do anything about it. We don't look out for the underdog. We don't do anything to help others. Um, We don't do things to, uh, you know, address injustices. So anger is is a pretty important emotion. So can you get empathy then from anger? Like, do you learn the art of empathy? Or is that a whole nother emotion? Um, I, I think that there's certainly some connections there. I, I think that um, empathy is something to help you through anger. Um, I think that if, you know, you are really, really mad, it's really hard to employ empathy. Um, but to be able, a lot of times if I'm upset about someone, uh, someone or something, you know, I, it, once I get to that place where I can see where that person was coming from, then the anger kind of goes away. Um, I had my identity stolen once and they you know, took all the money out of my checking account and then some. Do you yeah. know that? People can steal all your money and then overdraw it and take wow. money you didn't have. That's pretty special. Um, and I was so mad about it. Just just so mad. But what I realized after a while, after thinking about it, is whoever did it, maybe they needed it more than I did. And when I was able to think about there are people in the world who, you know, really don't have the luxury of being able to like fix the problem and move on, that empathy for others really helped me to not be so angry. Yeah, well, you're a better person than I am because I would not have, <laughs> I would not have handled it that well. I'm not saying I got there quickly. I mean, that sure, took a little bit, but sure. but so I I don't think that anger and empathy go well together, but one can help you through the other. Okay. So, um, another related emotion there is disgust, mm-hmm. and so uh, disgust might be a little bit more abstract for people to think about. So we usually, you know, when we're talking with kids about feelings. You know, how do you feel about eating broccoli, or how do you feel about, you know, would would you eat bird poop or something like that? Yeah. Um, are, we instinctively stay away from things like that that disgust us because that protects us. But disgust is a feeling that as we grow, it grows, and we start to have disgust about um, more social situations, or we might, you know, recognize like 
really cruel or unfair behavior and be disgusted by it. And that helps keep us away from those situations. So it might be actual toxins that disgust keeps us from, like eating garbage, but it also can be toxic social situations. Um, but the same emotions that make my kids uh, turn their noses up at a new dish uh, that I make, let's be fair, they might have reason to be concerned, but it's the same emotion <laughs> that might make them feel disgusted um, if you know, they see someone being mean to or bullying someone else. So that, that feeling okay. of, a, of disgust is very important into our development. Okay. Sadness is the next one. Sadness is supposed to bring help. A, a child that's crying will typically attract the attention of an adult who might be able to help them. So think about that. If you're a kid and you're sitting in the classroom and you're sitting at your desk and you start to cry, typically what would you expect to happen? Someone to come comfort you. Yeah, someone's going to come over and ask, what's wrong? What's mm -hmm. going on here? Um, what do you need? How can I help you? And so sadness is, in its base state, supposed to help or to bring help. It's supposed to have someone come over and help you address the situation. And we'll talk a little bit more about what happens when that doesn't happen here in just a minute. Um, but there's one more emotion, and this is one more base emotion, and this is a pretty important one, and that is joy. Joy is here to help us keep finding the good in things. Um, this emotion can help us to tolerate the most unpleasant emotions that we've listed, like fear and anger and disgust. Um, but it's the emotional state that our other emotions are trying to help maintain. So as, you know, as fear is kicking in, it's trying to protect us so we can get back to the state of joy. As sadness kicks in, it's trying to bring help so that we can get back to a state of joy. Yeah, I just had an idea. We should write a movie about all this. Oh, that's it's funny that you should mention that. <laughs> it sounds very familiar. It does. In fact, Disney Pixar did this exactly uh -huh. in the movie Inside Out. And I absolutely love that movie. Um, it really is the first time that a major motion picture has has looked into the, the, the nature of emotion and really helped kids to have better language to talk about all those pesky feelings. Um, so it's available on Disney Plus, and I, I plug it every chance that I get. Sure. So how old do you think kids are until they're emotionally available to, to talk about the different feelings. So kids as little as three and four can begin to talk about basic emotions, you know, happy, sad, mad. Um, they're not going to get very complex with it till they get a little bit older. Um, but, you know, I, I have a, a two and a half year old niece and she can recognize emotions on characters. Um, you know, she can assign emotions to her dolls and stuffed animals, you know, the baby is mad or mm -hmm. I'm sad, those kinds of things. So they can start to talk about it. And then as they grow, the idea is that that vocabulary and that ability to recognize emotion in themselves and others should grow. And one of the best things we can do with our kids is start teaching them language to describe how they feel very, very young, give them lots of words, because mm -hmm. then it's easier to say, you know, I feel uneasy or I feel sad or I feel scared or I feel overwhelmed. When they have lots and lots of words, it, it doesn't get stuck and it doesn't necessarily have to become problematic. But when they're hardwired with anxiety, mm -hmm. that's a term. And that wasn't in one of your inside out references. No. So then it gets confusing. It does. It does. And so I, I don't know if the movie honestly talks, I don't know if it makes a connection between fear and anxiety. I'd have to kind of rewatch and see that. Um, but fear in and of itself it doesn't necessarily, anxiety would be the experience of fear. Anxiety would be the thing that you feel that indicates that you're having some fear. Um, but for kids, you know, a young child isn't going to be able to 
take that word anxiety and truly understand it. It's later on that that word makes more sense. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but you can see like when you look at emotions through that lens, you can see what we mean about feelings being the way that our body communicates with us. Um, the, the underlying experience of anger tells us, hey, that's not fair. Something needs to be done about that and so on. Um, but until we know the language of emotion and we can talk about them, our behavior is what others see. For many kids, behaviors at school are the first time we really start to notice these important emotional messages. Kids who are happy and doing well are able to listen, do their work, and interact with their peers appropriately. But kids whose emotions are struggling to do their jobs are distracted. They're having a hard time with their peers. They might be struggling to learn or do work. They might be refusing to do what they're supposed to do, or they might be displaying defiant behavior. So this is actually how we found out uh, about my son and his anxiety. In first grade, his teacher suggested we have him evaluated for ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, because he was being very fidgety in class and maybe not paying attention as much as he should be. So we set up an evaluation, and it came back that he did not have ADHD, but instead generalized anxiety anxiety disorder. So the more my wife and I researched anxiety, the more we kind of realized that we started to see signs of this as early as three years old, certain things would trigger him and he would throw a fit. But to us as parents, he was three, it's a three major, right? That's, that's what they do. I always, I always, when he was two, he was so awesome. And I was like, if these are the terrible twos, then I'll take him any day. And then he turned three and I was like, oh, we've caught up. <laughs> So this would be more than a toddler tantrum, though, when he was uh, three, sometimes just screaming for no reason. He would also act out. He might seclude himself um, at family functions, looked horribly disrespectful. My wife and I found it horribly embarrassing. Um, we would make excuses for it. But once we learned about anxiety, it was crystal clear that his fight or flight mechanism was kicked in and he was running away. He was overwhelmed with the amount of people, maybe the noise, and was removing himself from the situation even though it was perceived as being rude and maybe locking himself in the room or going to the other room. So does all this sound familiar to all you out there? It's actually very, very common, right? right? Oh my goodness, right? yes. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> crossed, right? <laughs> it is so common. And you know, your your three-year-old son's emotions were talking quite loud yeah. and clear that they didn't want to be there. Very loud. But because for you guys, this is a situation that you knew wasn't dangerous. You didn't respond in the way he might have wanted you to. So his emotions had to escalate and it reached the point that he could either, you know, remove himself from the situation, be removed from the situation or stay and fight. So I guess he should just be glad he didn't stay and fight at the family function. Absolutely. And then you look back at him going, how remarkable that a three-year-old was able to, I mean, I guess it's a natural instinct to, I'm going to just remove myself from the situation that I'm uncomfortable with. So he knew that it was safer to go to his quiet place in his room. Mm -hmm. Instincts run strong. I mean, from from an early age, kids can recognize um, potential danger. Now, where it gets tricky, and this is where we're really going to dig into anxiety down the road, mm -hmm. is, you know, that wasn't a dangerous situation for him, but his body perceived it as one. Right. And so um, he, he was responding to instinct, and that's a pretty good thing to do. It's just he didn't need to there. Yeah. And some kids, instead of running away, they will stay and fight, and that's where they get defiant that might hurt another child or an adult or destroy some property. So that's a thing too. How else can emotions talk in children? Well, kids that are hungry or tired or they don't feel well, they'll signal this with whining or crying or irritability. I'm sure many people can relate to that. Um, they, they just don't have the skills yet to say, hey guys, I'm feeling kind of hangry right now. Could I have a snack? Preferably one with protein. Um, so instead you see tears, you see acting out, you know, meltdown or what appears to be pretty disrespectful behavior. On the other hand, kids that feel unsafe might report tummy aches or other physical complaints. And this is super tricky because it tends to work. Parents are more likely to respond to a clear physical problem than a vague emotional complaint. 
kids can't say things like, the lighting in this restaurant makes me feel uneasy. <laughs> so you get, I don't feel good, or my tummy hurts instead. And as a parent, which one are you more likely to respond to? Right, the tummy hurt, or, or headache, you know. But then it's like you're feeding them ibuprofen or, you know, some sort of antacid when they don't really need it. Yep, yep. And when I was a kid in the throes of anxiety, I never once said I felt anxious or nervous. I just had a tummy ache or I sure. felt yucky. Um, and my parents knew how to respond to that. Mm -hmm. And and so that's why for so many kids, anxiety results in a visit to the doctor. And the doctor can't find anything physical to explain that symptom. Um, and so parents just kind of are going there you know, with their hands up. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help my kid. Now, depending on the age of the child, how can they listen to and then handle those emotions? Okay. So here's where counselor Nikki comes out. Okay. The single best way to listen to your child's emotions and know how to respond, no matter what age, is to start asking yourself when things are happening, what might be underneath this behavior? Or what do they want or need that they can't say? So for some kids that have a great vocabulary, talking about how they feel and what they need is no problem, and you don't have to do any of this translation. But honestly, the vast majority of children I've known and worked with have had a really hard time verbalizing this stuff. And it seems like it never works out at an appropriate time. You're always in the supermarket checkout when something happens, and so you're not on your best behavior yeah. of how to handle this and go, okay, what's behind this emotion? Instead, it's like, what are you doing to me? I need to get out of here. Why are you trying to drive me crazy? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> because uh, it, yeah, it's, it's my, my best intentions are, are there somewhere, but I can't usually find them in the moment. It's, right. it's like, yeah, I don't really care what's going on with you. We can't act like this. Or I, I really don't, you know, want to talk about what might be under this, but truly pausing, taking a breath and going, what do they need that they can't say? What's going on for them? What might be behind this? Is It is the magic trick. And when you can do it, you will notice a dramatic difference. When you can do it, yeah. Yeah. You know, Nikki, I hate the term bad kid, but I'm almost going to have to use it because there's no other way I can kind of get my point across here. But how often do you think people misunderstand the emotions of a child and just write them off as, oh, that's a bad kid? Oh, so very often. <laughs> I know that I'm guilty of thinking that my kids are actively trying to push me over the edge only to realize that the behavior in question was a missed attempt to communicate something important. Mm. If I'm being honest, I think that what we have historically viewed as deviant or defiant mm. behavior is nearly 100% of the time rooted in an emotion trying to do its job. Sadly, it's much easier to write off a child or even a grown person as being bad than to take the time to consider what might be under the surface, what unmet need might be there for them. In fact, that reminds me of something. I saw, I think it was a coloring sheet that I got in a, a workbook or an activity pack one time. And it said, it, would, it had the words, misbehavior is an unmet need. And I love that. And mm -hmm. I, I kind of pictured huge posters with it, with that phrase all over my house as a reminder. And I'm a 13-year-old now, so that would actually be really helpful. I might, I might print that out and blow that up after we get get finished here. Um, but misbehavior is an unmet need. And when you can remember that, it is so much easier to find the good in what's going on and reconnect and kind of get past that difficult moment. And that's hard. And we're going to get into that into a later episode of, as the parent understands that, how you can get teachers and coaches and other adults in that child's life to understand that misbehavior is an unmet need, because that will make you bust your head against the wall more so than the child, I think, having the so-called tantrum. So, mm -hmm. Well, I'm not a sports fan at all, but I found a love in coaching children. I've coached both my kids in various sports, and I just, I love it. Having a child with anxiety has opened my eyes with that. When you get a kid who has a little 
uh, more energy than others or isn't the greatest of listeners, I've learned there's usually an underlying anxiety or behavioral issue. And I find myself somewhat gravitating toward those kids. It's so easy to be, um, oh, that's just a bad kid or a spoiled brat or a kid who doesn't want to be here and go on. But I've actually found that those kids that you spend the extra time with because they probably do want to be there, but they're just so overwhelmed and they don't know how to ask for help and they don't know what to do. What advice do you have for parents, volunteers, coaches, teachers, other staff, family members, other adults in a kid's life in helping those children? First, take care of yourself and your own emotions. And it sounds easy when I say it that way. I know it's not, but it Mm -hmm. is easier to recognize the emotions of others when we're in tune with our own. So if you're mad, ask what unfairness has occurred. If you're anxious, consider what your body might be trying to warn you about and so on. If you're able to recognize your own emotions, those of others will be much easier to translate. So essentially, I just I teach people to better read themselves, better understand what's underneath their own behaviors and their own difficult emotions and the practice of labeling, hey, you know, I'm anxious because of this or this anxiety is coming from um, this situation and I think I, I know why and that's where that came from for me. When you can do that, being able to look at a kiddo or look at another person in your life and go, hmm, I wonder what's behind that. It's so much easier to do. And the second thing, um, the question I mentioned before, what might be under this behavior or what do they need or want that they can't say? So when you're when you're in tune with your own stuff mm-hmm. and you can translate that a little bit better, then asking that question about what they need helps you to kind of face those situations as a coach or a teacher or um, anyone else working with children. Um, and so keep in mind, behavior is the physical display of underlying emotions, especially in kids. So you're going to want to watch for patterns um, in the problem behaviors and consider what unmet need or emotional struggle might be driving that behavior. Okay. And last but not least on this, be patient and remain yeah. calm in the face of the behavior. Your frustration will only fuel the misbehavior. And I almost need to re-say that your frustration will only fuel the child's misbehavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as a parent, I actually had a, a parent reach out to me um, a few episodes ago when we unveiled the podcast. And he said that his son had some anxiety disorders. And so he was kind of like asking for my advice. And I told him this. I said, as a parent, it's hard because this person is around kids all the time and is great with kids. But I said, when it's your kid, it's different. For example, when my son was in second grade, when his anxiety was really peaking, I volunteered in his class once a week. And there was a kiddo that I kind of became attached to and would work with him with math. Again, stupid at math, second grade math, doesn't sound hard. It kind of is. So I would help him and he would get so frustrated and I would just calm him down, real calm and be like, all right, dude, let's get this. And then he'd get it and we'd celebrate big time and big smile across his face. I would go home that night Help my son with identical homework and couldn't keep my composure. I'm like, why are you not getting this? And it's just when it's your kid, it's different. So I'm like, just keep that in mind. As you're parenting, it's so different when it's your kid. It, it is. And, I, and I've worked with kids for a long time now. And um, I, I have a much harder time maintaining patience at home. Yeah. Um, and and I, I've had so many moments of, I know what I'm supposed to do. Mm-hmm. I know what I need to do. I know mm-hmm. exactly what I should do in this moment, but I can't make myself do it. I can't, I can't you know, shut my mouth and stop whatever I am doing to get into the mode of what I should be doing. It's so much easier to watch other people and go, ah, I know what you need to do right there when to own our own emotions. And and the reason for that, the reason that there's that disconnect is you're emotional about your kids and you should be right. Mm-hmm. There's an, an investment, a connection, and you don't want to fail them and you don't want them to have more struggle than needed. And so you're going to get stuck sometimes and it's not going to be clear cut. And you have to, that's why I said it was so important. You have to check into your own stuff and go, okay, why am I 
stuck right now? What is my anxiety about in this moment? What am I angry about in this moment? And how can I work through that so that I can give my child the space to work through it? And just know that you're doing the best you can yeah. as a parent, especially if you have a, a kiddo with anxiety or something. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's, there's no manual for parenting. There's certainly no manual. There's no chapter on parenting an, an anxious child. And so, um, yeah, great advice. Take the time, mm-hmm. breathe, get yourself in a good place. And we haven't talked about the zones, the, the red zone, the green zone um, of the brain yet. But if you're both in the red zone and without talking about it, you can understand the red zone is not a good place to be. If you're in the red zone, you're not going to calm that child down. Mm-hmm. You need to get in that green zone and be calm. Then you can start to calm them down. An escalated adult will will not be able to calm an escalated child. You have to nope. you have to kind of take care of yourself first. Just just like the analogy of if you're on an airplane and you put the oxygen mask on you first, and then you mm-hmm. help other people, it's exactly like that in, in emotional stuff with parenting. You yeah. got to check in with yourself. And sometimes it's a matter of, dude, go to your room. I need to settle down. You need to settle down, and then we'll talk. Mm-hmm. Oh, it works yep. sometimes. Space can help. A little mm-hmm. little distance. On our next episode, we're going to talk about the brain as it relates to emotions and behavior and what parents and caregivers can do when a child is escalated. We will also break down the difference between words like nervous, anxious, and worried. Until then, help us keep the conversation going. If you know someone who can benefit from this podcast, please tell them. We're wanting to start a conversation, and that conversation continues with you. you.